0: Welcome to this edition of the 401k and Beyond podcast. This is the longer form edition where we have meaningful discussions with folks in and around the investment community. Here is your host, Brian Williams.
1: Hello, and welcome to this edition of 401k and Beyond. I'm Brian Williams from Northshire Consulting, Connecticut-based investment advisory firm. I'm really excited to be talking today with Drew Tierney from 401k in a Box and we're going to talk about solo 401ks, cash balance plans, but we're really going to talk about tax strategies and account types for the self-employed individuals. So how are you doing today, Drew?
0: Doing great, Brian. It's great to be here. Thanks for having me.
1: Yeah. So 401k in a box, that's kind of an interesting name. So I'll let you touch on that and intro your firm a little yeah. bit.
0: Yeah, no, thank you. I I mean, we've been around for a little bit now. I think 2016 is when the company was founded. Uh, I've been on board for a year, uh, but uh, you know, about 20 years in the industry. So, uh, yeah, it's been great. Um, 401K in a box. You know, the name's kind of a little quirky, but uh, I think one of the things that one of the reasons that we we've named it what we did is that uh, most of our competitors are known by acronyms. So, uh, you know, when you hear 401k in a box, it's kind of tough, to, uh, tough to forget. But we're all digital TPA, uh, third-party administrators. So the best way to think about us is, is like a CPA for retirement plans. And, um, you know, we do everything from documents to design. Um, we have some cool technology out on our sites uh, if anybody cares to visit. But, um, you know, I guess that's us, uh, pardon the pun, in a box.
1: Yeah, I like that. I like that introduction because a lot of times people, whether it's, uh, you know, even on the solo side, but they're like, okay, what does the TPA do? What's the advisor? What's the difference between TPA and and record keeper? So, um, so we can talk about that a little bit. So on the advisor side, you know, our job is to recommend the investment lineup, meet with the plan sponsors, the business owners, HR staff, help them put the plan together and make the investment selections at the plan level, but also in the participants, you know, whether it's the 25 year old putting away $25 a week or the 65 year old about ready to retire to sit with them and, and put that together. And, you know, the record keeper, that's the platform, that's where you're uploading your contributions and they're taking care of all the the processing, the, you know, the website, the data security, that's a big deal. And so what's the TPA role in that whole process?
0: Yep. No, that's a great question. The way the way I usually think about 401ks is kind of with three parties, three experts, if you will, at the table. One one like you just you just talked about is is the financial advisor guiding everything on the investing side. You have the record keeper, which is typically what everybody thinks of as a 401k. It's kind of everything that you see. It's the website. It's the investments that you're choosing from. It's the statements that you get, the the reps at the 800 number that you call for service. But then there's administration, which is kind of in the background, and that's where we really excel. And administration, as I as I talked about before, it's mostly the documentation, the compliance, the tax work. Um, but really, where we differentiate ourselves from most others is when it comes to the design, right? So we can listen to the clients understand what they're looking for, and then kind of back into the appropriate design based on the client's, you know, goals and and needs. Mm -hmm. So I like to think of it as like, you know, the three different components that make a a plan run really well. And if you have an expert in each of those three fields, you're setting yourself up for success as a client.
1: Yeah, and I agree with that. And I think the best run 401k plans, even if it's, you know, for the self-employed individual, is where all those parts are sort of in, in interchangeable. You know, if you don't like your record keeper, but you like your TPA and advisor, great swap it out. If you like your, you know, TPA and record keeper and you want to swap a new advisor, I think when it gets a little mucky and if you look at all of the cases with the lawsuits and things like that, is everybody kind of getting out of their lane and trying to snatch some revenue from, from one place or another. It sounds good to kind of bundle everything together, but, um, I think we've seen that that's generally not the best thing to do. Would you agree with that?
0: Yeah, I think so. For some of those reasons you stated. And what's interesting is a trend that we've identified that we're seeing across many of the record keepers is that they like the idea of working with a TPA now, right? I, I think with the with the price compression in our industry, um, these record keepers are really looking to see how do they get the most bang for their buck? And I think, you know, what we're kind of moving towards is is the outsourcing of the administration. Mm-hmm. I, I don't know that many of these tr- even traditional bundled record keepers love the idea of continuing to do administration because it's, ex- it's expensive for somebody to do that in addition to the record keeping.
1: Right. Yep. I agree with that. So on the self-employed side, I think I think what's different and I think why this is this topic is so important right now is. If you go back a few years or, you know, maybe when when we were kids, you were either self-employed or you weren't, right? I mean, you had people that ran their own businesses or or were solopreneurs or, you know, you had a job, you know, you went somewhere to work. But I think now so much with the gig economy and everybody doing side hustles or whatever you want to call it, I think those lines have been blurred so much that, um, you know, even folks in the media are talking about there may be a time in the not so distant future where basically everybody's kind of an independent contractor and they might just work, you know, job to job, task to task with, with different employers. So um it used to be, you know, we'd run into people who they worked their full-time job and they saved through their full-time job because that was a big company that had the 401k. And then anything they made, you know, selling candles at the flea market on Friday or whatever was their spending money. They put in a vacation jar or whatever. But now I think I'm starting to see that trend switch a little bit where they're like, you know what, I'm actually working my second job or doing my side hustle for savings. And then my 401k plan at work, well, that's actually not that great. Maybe it's expensive or there's a ton of fees or whatever. So I'm just going to work my day job, do that. And then my second job as is um, kind of the savings part of it. Is that what you're seeing too, Drew?
0: Yeah, more and more, um, e- even the most successful people out there seem to now be having these side gigs, right? Mm-hmm. So even even in a traditional sense, I guess you could think of like, like a doctor or somebody like that working at a hospital, right? Saving into the 403B, but on the side, they're kind of consulting with a drug company and kind of giving opinions and, and getting paid for it. And, you know, you think about that and it's like, well, why not? Like you can set up a retirement plan. You don't own the hospital, but you own your side gig. You can set up a, a plan for for that side business. Mm-hmm. And a lot of times, you know, and what we're seeing a lot—not only to what you said with the gig economy, which I think, you know, COVID had a very big influence on that—but uh, also we see a lot of people that are ready to retire and hang it up, and they do, and then they decide, well, I did want to retire, but I'm, you know. I, I kind of want to keep working a little bit and and we see these big fortune 500 firms you know allowing somebody to retire and then allowing them to consult back well when they're consulting back that's a business you can write a plan for that so we are seeing a lot of um especially in the solo in the solo realm uh people that are consulting back people that are sitting on boards of directors um and then people with the side hustles right like the, the side hustle thing is a big deal now, and uh, you can sock away some of that money to save in a retirement plan if you have something like that going.
1: Yeah, no, I agree. Yeah, there's there's the two camps. There's the completely unrelated side hustle that's you know maybe a hobby that you make money on, and then there's like you said the kind of the related one or the the transition. Very rarely are people going from 40 hours a week to zero hours per week. It's just uh, right. We're just learning that that's not really a good thing for for anybody. So. Um, so that's interesting right. to see people sort of, sort of scale down. So, so getting into the solo 401k, um, you know, a lot of people don't realize the, the benefits, the, the limits. So let's talk a little bit about the nuts and bolts there. And I think maybe you have a, a calculator or something you'd, you'd like to share there.
0: Yeah, sure. Yeah. When we, when we think about, um, you know, a, a kind of a 401k in a solo sense, right. The 401Ks have, have two different components for uh, contributions. And again, we'll just stick with the Solos for now. So this would be a one-person firm. Uh, or it could extend to multiple owners as well, but not, no non-owner employees, right? So there's kind of two ways to contribute to it. One is through your, your salary deferral or, or reducing your earned income. Um, so an individual can contribute up to $22,500 in 2023. Um, And then if you're over the age of 50, you can put in an additional $7,500 as a catch-up contribution. Okay, so that's kind of part one of the calculation. Part two is what we would refer to as profit sharing an employer contribution. So when we're thinking about that contribution, if you pay yourself a W-2 salary, you're talking about 25% of salary as the maximum contribution. And if you are non-W-2, maybe you receive some type of Self-employment income, uh, you're talking about 20% of your net earned income. Now, when we add these two numbers together, your your employee deferral and your employer deferral, we cannot exceed $66,000 if you're under 50, and $73,500 if you're over 50. So, you know, there's there's a significant amount of money that can be deposited into these accounts, and it's largely tied to your salary, but Um, Those are kind of the two most generic forms that you can use and maybe what I'll do here in a moment. uh, Actually, I'll do it while you're maybe responding to this Brian, but um, I'm going to pull up our calculator just so you can maybe get a sense for uh, what it looks like here.
1: Okay. And for those how how official does this side hustle need to be and that's a question i get a lot you know do we have to be you know officially an llc or uh, you know just kind of a doing business as or you know how do people structure it so that they're actually have a real you know mechanism to save through this
0: yeah so the the main thing is earned income right you got to have earned income in order to do these plans, we have, we see a lot of these side hustles that are set up as like S-Corps where, you know, income is passing through them as, as dividends or, or distributions or, or cap gains. Mm. That doesn't count. Right. It's got to be earned. And when I think earned, it's got to be something where you're paying yourself a W-2, where you're paying payroll taxes, where you're, you're receiving self-employment income, where you're paying that self-employment tax. So that's kind of how I qualify uh, some of the clients that we talk to is is what are you shown as earned income? That those are really the the keywords there.
1: Okay. And the trigger for most people, whether when they start thinking about solo four hundred one k, is it is it once they get above maybe the IRA limits, or maybe if they're you know combining this with maybe it's just income that they don't need, or where do you transition people from saying? All right, you've, you can max out your IRA, now move to a solo 401k. Is it is it that simple?
0: Yeah, I think so. I think at, at some point, right, you you know, you, you graduate from the IRA, right? So, you know, the, the six or seven thousand dollars that's going into the IRA just isn't enough for you anymore. Um, so I think when you get to that point, which which you could also think about like a SEP IRA, but um, I I think once you decide that you need to save at least, let's say, 20000 25000 plus a year, you're really talking about 401ks. Um, I don't know that there's going to be another avenue for you out there to really accelerate your contributions. And remember, every dollar that's going in is a tax deferral on the business side. So I think that's really where um, these 401ks really can help a business owner, not only for the savings part of it, but also on the tax side of it as well.
1: Okay. And from a tax standpoint, and one of the other big areas that the people love is the fact that they can put money away for their spouse too.
0: That's right. Um, so in the case of, a, a a plan where maybe you have some owners and you're making some money, you can also add your spouse to the payroll, even if it's for a minimal amount, right, we put a spouse on there and pay them $25,000, they can defer $22,500 of it right off the bat, Mm. Um, as long as they're not participating in a plan somewhere else, right? Remember that individual limit is an individual limit across the board, whether you're in one plan or 10 plans, you can only put in $22,500 as an individual per year. Um, But that is a great strategy to kind of further accelerate not only the tax savings for the business, but the retirement savings for the individual family.
1: And does that spouse have to have any documented work? Do they have to show that they worked, you know, a certain number of hours or anything like that? Or is that not something that the IRS would look at?
0: Yeah, we should. We should um, make sure that the spouse, uh, if they are receiving an income, that they have duties associated with the company. Mm -hmm. Um, I laugh because sometimes that's a really loose interpretation of, you know, what the rule is. Like I had a, I talked to a client one time who said, yeah, well, you know, uh, you know, my son and he's part owner of my company, right? He gave him like 5% ownership of the company and, uh, you know, he goes and gets my mail from the mailbox every day. Like, oh, okay. Well, listen, I'm not going to question you on how much you pay him to collect your mail, but you know i'm not the irs either no, <laughs> so I, I, we just want to make sure that if somebody is being paid to fulfill certain duties for a company that they're they're valid and, and can be documented
1: that's all yeah i guess it depends on how far away the mailbox is maybe the guy's got a po box in town <laughs> 15 miles away and right. riding his bike that's well something. there you
0: go right totally
1: yeah. um and so so one of the advantages you know we talked about the spouse and the kid. so if people are thinking about hiring an actual employee outside of the family how easy or difficult is it to transition from a solo k to you know a real k or for a regular 401k yeah
0: like more of a traditional right yeah <laughs> Um, yeah, so there's I, I guess there's two things, right? One is if, if the business kind of closes its doors and or, or the client just decides, you know, I don't want to participate or, or fund this 401k anymore, you just terminate the plan. You roll it over to an IRA or to another plan that you're participating in. No problem. Um, if you uh, maybe add some non-owner employees, um, really the document is already set up for the success of the business owner. We might have to tweak some of the rules in it, but really when you find that you have a need to add add a non-owner employee, at that point, we look through some design stuff. The typical wait time for somebody to get into a plan is one year. So we have about a year from when you hire that non-owner employee to kind of redesign the plan, set it up the way that you need it to be set up, with the appropriate formulas. And so we pass all the compliance testing and all that. It's a little bit of work, but it's something that we kind of handle. We present to our clients and then we decide, you know, is this the best path forward? And if so, we just amend the document with some of those rules and we're, you know, off and running. Not a big deal.
1: If if client A comes to you and says, I just need a solo K. I'm never going to hire an employee. I don't want employees. Client B comes to you and says, you know what, I think I might add an employee in a year or so. Those two AB clients, is the original document any different? No, the original document's the same. Uh, like I said, once
0: we, uh, once we figure out what type of rules we need to add or, or delete from the document, um, that's the point where, you know, there's a little consultative work that gets done. Um, we figure out how to set it up for, for the client's success, right? Not every client wants to lock employees out for a year either you Mm -hmm. know some want them in immediately or three months or six months something like that so yeah it's a whole it's a whole conversation takes you know 30 minutes to an hour to kind of go through everything but once we understand what the client's looking for we kind of build that same you know the same document is used to kind of add and delete the different rules that are that are available
1: okay and once you have your you know your your advisor and your tpa a couple of good-looking guys you can put on your plan you still need to have your uh custodian you still need to have a place where the assets are and uh investments right. behind that and and you and i are kind of platform agnostic they can do it at fidelity schwab whatever works best um those platforms do sometimes have their own 401k document that's just kind of an off off the shelf thing What makes getting a document through a tpa better than something that's uh, kind of boilerplate from a custodian
0: yeah i think it's the customization right so we have the ability to really get a client whatever they need right based on Mm -hmm. based on what they're looking for sometimes uh some of the some of the record keepers that are using their own document though the, the the documents are fine like it's it's not like it's a huge deal i think I think what in fact, we work with some um, record keepers where we use the record keepers document. Mm. Um, So some some firms do require that. But I would just say what what you're missing if you're not using a TPA or a TPA document is the full flexibility of what's available. You get the consultation, you get somebody that really just specializes in design, right? That's what we do. We don't care what the investments are. We don't care you know, where those assets are being held. What we care about is that we design this plan in the way that a client needs so that we can achieve their goals for themselves as a person and an individual and investor, but also for their goals as a client when it comes to it being an employer, right? How do I attract and retain the right employees? How do I reward the right people for the services that they're doing to help me grow my business or make my business profitable? Or in some cases, it's like, who are the employees that we're trying not to benefit, to be quite frank with you? So sometimes you have a business that has like a very high turnover. Like what can we do to insulate ourselves as a company from giving so much money out to these employees to have them quit and then take this money with them, Mm -hmm. right? So there's all kinds of considerations depending on the type of business. But that's really where I think you get the full flexibility of using a TPA. And by the way, we, the cost is usually about the same as doing it all under one roof at a record keeper.
1: Yeah. And on, on the solo 401k, we've seen some of these documents that don't have Roth provisions and don't have a loan provision. And I would imagine those are pretty, pretty standard, I would think, on a, on a TPA, right? You want to put in the maximum amount of benefits and features that are available out there?
0: yeah so you know it's wide open right our document we make as as flexible as possible so not only do we just allow for loans allow for roth allow for withdrawals right there's some unique things that we also allow for things like after tax contributions Mm -hmm. things like in-plan roth conversions right Right. these are all things you know we can probably have a whole nother conversation on in-plan roth conversions Mm but you know we open our document up so that it's fully flexible for whatever that owner needs, right? When we don't have to worry about non-owner employees, we kind of give you the keys, and you know we keep you within the bounds of the of the document. But uh, we want to make it sure that it's open so that you can do whatever you need, and and you don't have to continually revise the document or look for a new one because it's missing certain features.
1: Mm-hmm. Yeah, I imagine that in-plan Roth conversion. That's a Something that does take some, you know, back end on your part to track the different sources, but it can certainly add value. You, you mentioned the idea of people retiring and then they do consulting for a couple of years, that kind of space in there when they're not maybe working full time, but doing this, sometimes that's a good time to do some of those Roth conversions.
0: Yeah, we have, I, and I've had conversations with some pretty unique clients who had some pretty unique needs and sometimes, it's because they have like a huge pre-tax savings base already and they're trying to supplement it with Roth. Well, right. you know, we can figure out a way to get you $66,000 of Roth contributions in a year. And that, and we leverage that implant Roth conversion, but you know, th- there are ways to do that. And where, uh, where an IRA is limiting you to six or $7,000 a year, if you take owner only 401k and, know that you can put 66 in there that's a huge difference
1: yeah um, and that really true. can
0: build your 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 after-tax base to to you know a better level
1: yeah and most people who are retiring at this point i mean they they their whole career was in the pre-tax environment i mean even had there's 401ks now that don't have the the roth provision in there so it's you know when the employer match was always you know going to be pre-tax and taxed when they take it out so um so that bucket is usually you know, at least 80% of their money. So um, being able to add some flexibility there as to where they would draw from is, is a huge option. And it's nice to have that solo 401k that lets you both contribute Roth, but also do some conversions in there as well.
0: Yeah, I think so. And like I said, like we leave the document open so that, you know, if it changes mid year, we don't have to go and like kind of amend the plan document. It's already there. All the rules are in there and ready to go. Um, It's just a matter of, you know, using them when you need them.
1: Yeah. What kind of pitfalls does somebody need to look out for if they're still working, maybe full-time or almost full-time, but also doing a a second job or side hustle and contributing to a a solo K?
0: Yeah, I think, uh, you know, I think we touched on it a little bit ago, but the the $22,500 individual limit, right? If you're working a nine to five job and then you open the solo 401k, you know, your twenty two thousand five hundred contribution is aggregated between the two. Now your nine to five job doesn't know what you're doing on your side hustle and the side hustle doesn't know what your nine to five job is doing when it comes to your deferrals. So that's individual kind of responsibility that has to be monitored. Mm-hmm. Um that being said, you know, if you do have the side hustle going, and you and you're putting all your mo- all your deferrals into your nine to five job, because you're probably leveraging some type of match that you're getting there, which is a smart thing to do, right? It's free money. Um, but then on the side, we just run the profit sharing contribution instead of worrying about any four hundred one k dollars that are going in there. We could put that profit sharing contribution directly into the into the four hundred one k profit sharing plan on the solo side. And we can use that for increased um, you know, tax write offs for the business. So I would say that that's the biggest thing, right? Is that you monitor your individual contributions. The only other thing that I would say that you have to keep an eye out for is something that we would refer to as a control group or an affiliated services group. And that's mm-hmm. something where, as an individual, maybe you own a business, right? And it has employees and you have a 401k there. Um, I like to think of like a doctor's office that has like a blood lab that the doctor also owns, and all the all the blood work that gets done gets done through his lab on the side, right, which he also owns and then you know that doctor wants to set up a plan for both sides of it and benefit himself as as much as possible. That doesn't fly, right? You own both companies, they work with each other, you know. That's something that we would really look at. We would look at the rules and kind of say, "Yeah, you know what? That's not fair. At least in the eyes of the Department of Labor and the IRS, it's not fair." So that would be the only other thing I would look out for is if there's like any type of ownership or affiliation between your your main job and your side hustle or whatever it is. Mm-hmm. You have to be concerned about that. You, you know, our ears perk up when somebody owns more than one business. Yeah, um, and that's where yeah. we have to just be careful. Um, but we have the expertise to help you through that. We just need to know about it.
1: Yeah, no, all good points. Yeah, and I know the where and you, you started with the idea of somebody maxing out their four hundred one k up to the up to the match limit, and then contributing from from the solo four hundred one k. Because there's still a lot of regular four hundred one ks that are, you know, pretty expensive or might be limited with their investment options. Um, and solo four hundred one ks, believe it or not, are actually a lot of times less expensive because you don't have some of the 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 record keeping costs and uh, and things like that that tend to yeah. add on fees to the regular plan. So if they're getting a three percent match at work, great. Put in your three percent, get their three percent. You know, figure out how close you are to that 22.5 and then do the rest on the solo side, right?
0: Yeah, and we see a lot of the solo plans that we set up uh, managed, you know, kind of directly on on an advisor's books, right? Mm-hmm. Through almost like a retail type relationship. Um, so, for everybody out there, that kind of means that your advisor can kind of pick and choose the investments in there with you, right? Whether it be stocks or ETFs or mutual funds or whatever else is out there, it's, it's pretty wide open. And I think to your point, Brian, that kind of adds in the flexibility of what you are able to invest in, but also allows you to control the cost as a client in, in conjunction with your advisor.
1: Yeah, absolutely. And I know, you know, a lot of advisors like myself have been buying a lot more individual bonds over the last year or so with rates up. And, you know, people will sometimes invest their Roth differently than they invest their traditional money and and do some more advanced kind of strategies like that, which this would allow you to do a little more flexibility on this side. Um, want to get into the, to the cash balance stuff. So everybody... They get that consulting gig. They're making a ton of money. They do everything they can on the, on the solo side. So what's next? What's next after that?
0: Yeah. So when you're out and you just say, you know, usually what I, what I help train advisors to do is kind of listen for somebody, you know, around tax time or approaching the end of the year that says, hey, look, this is great that I'm saving the 66000 or the $73,500. This is awesome. How do I do more? And that would be your kind of alert to say, we got to look at a cash balance plan. So a cash balance plan is a form of a defined benefit plan, which is similar to what most people think is a traditional pension plan that, uh, you know, teachers or or police officers or unions have typically, right? Where the company funds the plan. Um, When you retire, you have some type of annuitized benefit that you're going to live off of in retirement. So the same way that these large companies can do them, and these these larger municipalities and not-for-profits can work with defined benefit plans, is the same way a one-person firm can work with a defined benefit plan. So instead of saving, you know, sixty, seventy thousand dollars a year, you know, it's typically upwards of two hundred to three hundred thousand in aggregate that we could save somebody. Now there's certain things that we look for when we're looking for a defined benefit. Um, or cash balance plans, I'll we'll use the term interchangeably. A lot of times, what we need is we need higher levels of income, you know, so maybe 150,000, 250,000. Uh, we, we look for individuals that might be in like their, their 40s, 50s, 60s, is usually like a good range of where we see a lot of cash balance plans being opened. And you really have to have, you know, good cash flow to the business that's predictable and sustainable. Because these cash balance plans, there's, there's commitments and they're mandatory commitments from year to year. So we don't want to set anybody up for failure by saying, hey, you can put in $200,000 a year and then next year they have a bad year and they can't do it. That's a problem. <laughs> it's hmm. fixable, but it's a problem, right? So those are some of the things that uh, when we think about these cash balance plans, you know, it's what we listen for, what we look for. But part of it is the consultation side of it as well, and under, making sure that the client understands what the commitments are.
1: And how does that work? I'll ask and you the same question work? asked I'll on the 401k side. The if, if they decide to add employees later, add how, employees how does that change later? the cash balance plan?
0: Yeah, same thing. I mean, there's eligibility. There, there's Some of the rules are a little bit different in the cash balance plan, but essentially, if somebody crosses about a year of eligibility, you know, they can get into the cash balance plan. Um, and it means a commitment for the business owner to that employee. Um, you know, one of the things that we try to do in just the very small businesses is, you know, we try to limit the exposure that the the client or the business owner has to give to the employees. And what we try to illustrate to them is here's the minimum amount that you have to give to that employee. You know, you have to commit to that and in years where you'd like to give that employee more, that's okay. But this is the
1: minimum that you have to hit if you want to continue funding it for yourself as well. Okay. And getting money out of the cash balance plan in retirement, what does that look like? How is that different from 401k?
0: Yeah, it's essentially the same, right? When, When you get to the end of the life of a cash balance plan... Um, as an employer, you can just terminate the plan and, and roll everything to an IRA, or you can even roll it into your 401k if that's still active. Mm-hmm. Um, for an individual participant, uh, there's usually some options there where they can annuitize their balance and receive an annual, you know, check if they want. Um, we don't typically see that. Most of the plans that we're working on, which you know are probably less than 100 employees, um, we're seeing most of those. Employees, when they're done, just rolling the money out as a lump sum into an IRA,
1: mm-hmm.
0: um, keeping it tax deferred, but you know, taking that benefit that they earned from their employer with them.
1: Right, and the, and for the owners on the solo side, if they're at the point where they're contributing to a cash balance plan, chances are they've got other 401k and outside money that they can combine that with after they're all after they're all done with their lucrative consulting career, right? <laughs> Yeah, I
0: mean these owners, depending on how long they're running these cash balance plans.
1: I mean, there's there's
0: lifetime contribution amounts that we we kind of monitor, but you know, at the end of the life of a cash balance plan, if if it runs long enough, you know, you're looking at like probably like two to three million dollars for the owner in there, mm. which is nothing to, you know, nothing to, you know, ignore. I mean, that's like a really nice savings plan, all tax deferred as it goes in. But then on the on the back side, when you distribute it, you know, keep it tax deferred. Get it into an IRA and start taking your your required minimum distributions when you reach, what is it now, 73? 73, yeah. <laughs> it keeps going up. No. I feel like every year it goes up a couple but a couple of years. But yeah.
1: so, yeah. And how is the... Uh... Last question, just curious on the on the cash balance plan, we could we could go into that for, you know, another hour or so, but the fluctuation in interest rates, we've had a big spike in that, has that affected cash balance plans at all in terms of, you know, how they're structured or even how they're invested?
0: Yeah, it certainly can. So the way I like to talk about the investing in the cash balance plan is to start with the 401k. So in the 401k, it's defined benefit, right? So I'm sorry, 401K is defined contribution. So what the IRS is doing is defining how much you can put in there. Once the money's in there, you grow it as aggressively or conservatively as you want. When we look at cash balance being a defined benefit plan, we're trying to hit a targeted amount of money when you retire. So what our actuaries are doing is they're actually doing a present value calculation back to today. Hmm. And then they're assuming a growth rate. And that's where you're talking about the interest rates, right? So that interest rate, there's kind of guardrails on it that the IRS sets every year, right? And sometimes they go up, sometimes they go down. It all depends on you know the current state of the market. Right now, most of the plans that are being set up have an interest rate that varies between like 4 and 5% right now. So your goal as a financial advisor is to try and hit that benefit which means that you have to try to return that 4 or 5% every year. We don't want a client, you know, or an advisor, you know, returning 20, 25% a year because we're going to have to tell the employer you can't put as much in there anymore, which mm. they don't want to do that because they're getting a huge tax break. Right. So right now in the current interest rate environment, 4 to 5%, I mean, you buy a couple CDs and I think get yeah. that rate. So I think right now it's kind of easy. Back when we were at a 0% interest rate, it was a little bit more challenging. Although the market was taking off, we kind of tried to have, you know, a lot of these a lot of the advisors out there were trying to figure out, you know, what type of portfolio can I put together that's a little bit more moderate to conservative so I don't blow this thing out of the water, right? right. So it was a little bit difficult then. Now I would say, you know, we're in a really good time for cash balance investing because it's almost reckless
1: Yeah, we don't want to use the, the guarantee word. We don't want to say it's too easy, but um, easy. we'll say it's a little easy. I didn't easier. say guaranteed. I know. <laughs> that's why I didn't. That's why I didn't. Uh, all right. I think that's a pretty good place to wrap it up. We could probably go all day. But uh, if people want to reach out to you directly, Drew, how do they do that?
0: Yeah, so a uh, couple ways by email, uh, drew at 401k in a box.com. Um, that's also the website, 401k in a box.com. We have the calculators out there for you, uh, little details on the on the uh on the different types of plans that we offer. And then uh anybody that wants to contact me directly over the phone, the number six one zero nine 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 two nine four zero.
1: All right. And I'll throw this in here too, that your LinkedIn content is is very good. Like it's not just little snippets, it's not some long form nonsense it's it's actually pretty good i know i've complimented on you that that before but uh it's a right length it's good to kind of scroll through and find yourself so find yourself there so so find drew on linkedin yeah a little bell do all that good stuff and <laughs> read what he's putting out there all right thanks yeah drew. no i
0: appreciate that too and uh, yeah so it's it's uh, at drew tierney it's d-r-e-w-t-i-r-n-e-y and uh happy to have you you know take a look at that as well but All i'm right. learning still so so it's not yeah. are you on threads
1: yet <laughs>
0: <laughs> not yet not yet i didn't get into threads <laughs> I, i've been on twitter but i i don't know i feel like linkedin is is a good audience for me so yeah uh, we're starting there maybe we'll grow it into threads i don't know are you in uh, threads yet
1: yeah I, I got on but i didn't i didn't really do anything yet i just i'm just in okay. there as a stalker for now that's it <laughs> You want to see what uh, everybody else 70 is 70 million people in
0: the first day. <laughs> no, every
1: day I just go on there and I say my only thread is waiting for Drew, waiting for Drew, waiting for Drew. <laughs> just, just put that out there. All right, you, well you get I guess platform. it's time, right?
0: I'll I'll have to go look at it now, Brian.
1: All right. Sounds good. Thanks, Drew. <laughs> All right. All right, thanks. have a good
0: one.